0: Heading out into the woods can bring a special kind of thrill. On one hand, it allows you to step outside and leave behind the troubles of everyday life. On the other, it can be filled with dangers in the form of cliffs, toxic plants, natural predators, and some unnatural predators too. When we head out for a quick hike or a backpacking trip, most of us assume that we'll make it back by the end of the trip. Unfortunately, that isn't always the case. My name is Brianne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a true crime podcast where we focus on cases that occur out in nature. In this episode, we're going to talk about Gary Michael Hilton, also known as the National Forest serial killer. This predatory camper would stalk his prey out in the forest with horrifying results. So we're going to talk about him and the victims of his crimes. For obvious reasons, I do just want to address the delay with episode eight. Colorado, in all of its natural beauty and with all of its stunning mountains, can be a bit temperamental in winter, and anyone from Colorado knows that winter really isn't over until somewhere around the end of May. And as far as March goes, well, I was born during a March blizzard, so it's not exactly uncommon. The point being, I was physically blocked from being able to access my equipment, and I decided not to torture my producer by asking him to try to edit a phone recording like he did for my announcement. But hey, I'm back. The snow is mostly melted, I was able to make it back to my equipment, and I really appreciate you guys for being patient with me. Like I mentioned, I've got some extra episodes coming for this week, and I've actually decided to use the show to give myself a little birthday present, which is why I will be dropping an episode that I'm particularly passionate about on the 27th so we can celebrate together. As you might remember from my previous episode on Judy Smith, there was a serial killer that was targeting victims in forests in Georgia. Later studies would reveal that the same serial killer was active in Florida as well. Though police were not able to prove that the serial killer in question murdered Judy Smith, there was a serial killer and he was up to some seriously bad stuff. Ordinarily, when I talk about a case, I focus on the crime and the victims, but there's a lot of interesting information available on the killer, so I thought it might be interesting to explore the killer in this case a little more. In 1946, Gary Hilton was born in Atlanta, Georgia. There isn't that much notable information about his childhood until he hit his teen years. At the age of 13, he shot his stepfather in the stomach. Now, over the years, I've known a lot of people who haven't gotten along with step-parents. Sometimes it's because of residual emotions, but sometimes it's because the other person really brings some issues and disrupts the family. Regardless, I've never once heard anyone talk about wanting to physically harm a stepparent, much less act on it. The kind of child that can pick up a gun and shoot to kill shows a predisposition towards violence that just really isn't healthy. I'm no professional, but hey, um, that's my opinion. (laughs) The good news is that his stepfather survived being shot. The bad news is that he also refused to press charges. Gary Hilton was placed in a mental hospital for some time, but he was ultimately released despite his attempted murder. At the age of 17, Hilton was assigned to the Davy Crockett Platoon in the United States military, which was a small group of military personnel that were assigned to use a specialized missile that would likely kill them if they ever actually needed to use it. It was an incredibly tense, high-pressure position, and ultimately... Gary's mental health took a plunge. Several years into his service, he began to experience a wide range of mental health problems. He started hearing voices to start, and ultimately he had a full psychological breakdown. The army sent him to another mental hospital, and he was treated for some time before being discharged. Interestingly enough, they opted to honorably discharge him instead of giving him a standard psychiatric discharge. After he was released, the military just kind of cut their losses and let him loose. So what does a veteran with a genius level IQ and a history of mental illness do with his free time? For Hilton, the answer was obvious. Head out into nature. He loved spending time running around outside and exploring the woods with his dog. For a while, this was fine. It was a good thing for him and it helped him to cope with what was going on in his mind. But ultimately, he ended up talking to doctors many years later. This time, the doctor decided to treat him for ADD. Now, Having a psych degree, I've got a lot of opinions on this. For the longest time, I didn't even want to consider being a psychiatrist purely because of the medication element. It's no secret that we have a bad habit of over-prescribing and incorrectly prescribing psychiatric medications, and it puts people at serious risk. ADD and ADHD medications like the one given to Gary Hilton are largely over-prescribed, even to this day. While this medication helps a lot of people who do need it, it also harms a lot of others. I don't think that being given Ritalin turned Gary Hilton into a serial killer, but I do think that prescribing a stimulant to someone with a known history of psychosis is a horrible combination that likely amplified some of the other problems that he had going on. Gary Hilton's first killing was a woman named Rosanna Miliana in 2005. She was last seen alive with Hilton by a store owner near the woods. Presumably, Hilton abducted her while she was on a hike. The owner remembered him because he had decided to claim that he was a traveling preacher. Pairing this with how nervous Rosanna looked, it raised a few flags. Something that surprised me was that Hilton actually tried to use her bank card after he killed her which seems like a really obvious way to get caught, but ultimately turned out to be a constant in all of his killings. Later, she was found beaten to death. Hilton's next victim was another sad circumstance with a woman who was alone. Her name was Cheryl Dunlap, and her friends reported her missing when she didn't show up for church. Being devoutly religious, this just didn't sit right with them. It was really not like her to not show up without reaching out to somebody, so the flag was raised that something might have happened to her. And by the time police found her, she was left on the side of the highway. Even worse, she was decapitated. Crimes like this always hit kind of different for me. Um, I've always been... Very dedicated to making sure that someone always knows where I am. Probably because of all the true crime shows that I've spent my life watching and listening to. Um, Well, I don't think that it's going to stop someone from harming me if they have the intent to. I've always kind of held tight to the belief that the sooner someone realizes I'm gone, the more likely that it is that they will be able to find me sooner rather than later. Any true crime show makes you understand how important timing is when it comes to finding someone. So, it's why so many of us send messages to loved ones before we go somewhere alone, and why we'll call someone when we walk home alone at night. You know, it's it's just a scary world that we live in, and there's always the potential that someone like Hilton is out there looking for their next victim, and you could be it. With Cheryl Dunlap, she was last seen one day before she was reported missing. The turnaround time on her disappearance was that fast, and they still couldn't save her from Hilton. Just like he did with Rosanna, Hilton used Cheryl's card to withdraw money at the ATM. He wore a mask and a hat to obscure his identity so they couldn't find him. However, police were able to find Cheryl's vehicle broken down on the shoulder of a highway where they had received information on a vehicle of interest. But they were never able to find any additional information until years later. So the community just kind of mourned the loss of a talented young nurse. When you think of a couple in their 80s, you probably don't think about people who are living a totally active lifestyle. But The next two victims of Hilton were exactly that. Despite being in their 80s, these two were always out and about. They loved nature, they loved the great outdoors and traveling. It was their happy place, until it wasn't anymore. When Irene and John Bryant went out for a hike in a national forest, it was October. And hiking lovers know that hiking in fall is just a whole different experience, The world looks so beautiful. You can never get too hot, and there's this amazing crispness to the air that, like, cannot be beat. Unfortunately, this beautiful fall hike would be their last. A few weeks later, Irene's body was found. She died from blunt force trauma to the head. John, on the other hand, was found later, and he was shot. Like the other murders, Hilton went to the ATM and he pulled out money. This time, he hid his face with a hood. Though every single one of Gary Hilton's crimes was a complete tragedy, his 2007 killings of the Bryants were even more devastating, specifically because they could have been avoided. In 2005, Gary Hilton acquired a warrant after abandoning a vehicle. This warrant was completely active And in 2007, the same year that he killed these victims, Hilton was questioned by police after setting up camp on private property. But when they ran his license, nothing came back. This is because at that point in time, there was no requirement to check federal databases. Since he had an active warrant in a different area, they didn't see it and they didn't even question it. But if they had... He would have been arrested and two people would still be alive today. A few months later, in 2007, another victim surfaced. His name was Michael Scott Lewis, and he was found a ways away from the beach in a local state park. What makes this case so interesting is that it took a while to link this murder to Hilton. In fact, for a long time police believe that Michael was actually killed by his girlfriend. And this is where it gets kind of weird. Michael's body was not in good condition when it was found. He was dismembered, and his body was found by a fisherman in pieces, in plastic bags. While this is well in line with Hilton's actions, police strongly believed that Michael was murdered by his former girlfriend. Why? Because years later, she was charged with killing another boyfriend in a similar fashion. Now, I'm not really looking to go into that case too much, but suffice it to say that the boyfriend was also dismembered. He was shot, it was violent, and that really made me think. I can't speak to the motives of the girlfriend slash killer in this situation, but I have to wonder if it wasn't somehow influenced by Michael's grisly death. It seems like, Lee, that there was some kind of obvious connection there, right? I'm not sure if this was a bout of psychosis that manifested in the form of mirroring a tragedy that affected her on a personal level, or if... Michael just knew a statistically significant amount of killers in his 20s, but learning this was just shocking to me. I really feel like her actions must have been influenced by Michael's death because it's just too similar. It's eerily similar, right? Whether that was just caused by some sort of mental break or she had some darker secrets that manifested after Michael passed away, this detail was just too big for me to ignore. When I found it, It just, it didn't sit right. Hilton's final known victim, though I say this cautiously because we truly don't know how many people he killed, was Meredith Hope Emerson. She was out for a hike near the Appalachian Trail when someone spotted her walking with an older man and her dog. Police now know that the older man was Hilton, but This story is different than others. Meredith Emerson was not just any victim. She was trained in martial arts, and she was able to fight Hilton for quite some time. While he did manage to subdue her, she was a fighter, and she managed to fight for her life for four full days against him. What makes this even more disturbing, and what really separates this story from the rest was that Hilton was the one to detail it out himself. He claimed that Emerson fought him until her last breath. And she did it well. Hilton hiked with Emerson for some time. And most women wouldn't be too worried about an older gentleman like him. She probably thought that she was just being nice and friendly, and serial killers have used this against victims forever. (laughs) But ultimately, Hilton fell behind and Emerson continued the hike. I'm still not sure if he actually fell behind and decided to preserve his energy or if this was part of his ploy to make himself seem more vulnerable and harmless. But when she made her way back down, he was waiting for her and he had a knife. Hilton demanded her credit card, but Meredith was not actually having any of it. She physically grappled with him for his blade and baton. She was fighting, and she was screaming, and Hilton was definitely pretty shocked to see just how hard she was willing to push back. In an attempt to subdue her, Hilton punched her multiple times in the face. He blackened her eyes, and he broke her nose... And while you know I don't love sharing these details, I'm breaking my rule to show you just how badly she was hurt when she decided to keep fighting. Hilton hit her so hard that he broke his hand in their fight. It was a grisly battle. Ultimately, to get her to calm down because they were both so badly injured, he told her he only wanted her ATM card and pin. He led her down the mountain through side trails, a fact which just shows you how well he knew these natural areas, and led her to his van. Meredith managed to stay alive for three more days by repeatedly giving him the wrong pin for her her ATM card when he asked for it. She was buying herself time, but police still didn't find her. In the end, Hilton tied her to a tree and bludgeoned her to death with a tire iron. In this is where it gets kind of shocking again. After killing Meredith and a slew of other people, Hilton finally met his breaking point. What was it? Despite murdering countless people, he couldn't bring himself to harm her dog. So he let the dog go, and her dog was found nearly 60 miles away from where they had been before. Now, I know that I'm always upset whenever we talk about killers harming animals, and I have an obvious soft spot for dogs specifically because of my own furball, but I think that this is such an interesting twist. So many serial killers hurt animals for fun. Like with humans, they just lack that connection. They don't really process other beings as living creatures that are worthy of life, but This man murdered a ton of people and then couldn't bring himself to hurt the dog of the woman that he had just killed. I can't really tell you what that means, if it means anything, but I just thought it was really interesting. You know, obviously he had a code (laughs) um, that gave him a pass on harming people, but just no to dogs. (laughs) In the end... Someone spotted Hilton trying to clean out his van and bleach it, and they called the cops. And the interesting part about this was that the person who called them was actually a boss who realized that Hilton must have been the suspected killer. Police arrived, and they arrested him. He managed to escape the death penalty by leading police to the body of Meredith. And then the charges just kept coming, because originally, he was only charged for her murder. What makes this fascinating is that because of his different crimes in different places, he could be passed around through court systems. And everyone wanted him to end up in Florida for his subsequent charges, because Florida is known for its higher-than-average death penalty numbers. He was given the death penalty, but the death penalty actually hit a snag in Florida along the way in response to another case. In 2020, an appeal was heard in court, but it was quickly shut down. No one in the court system believed that Hilton was anything more than a cold-blooded killer. And for now, he remains in prison. He will never be free again, but we also have no way of knowing if he will be killed by the state or if he will die in prison instead. A big part of what surprised me about this case is that generally older men don't come off as much of a physical threat. And I feel like a lot of us feel that way. We got this idea in our head that older folks are softer or weaker, but that just isn't true, especially with modern weaponry. This man killed plenty of people in his 60s, and chances are that he won't be the only killer of his kind. We may never know if he killed throughout his lifetime without getting caught or if he just developed a really disturbing hobby once he hit his retirement age, but we can all be glad that he's locked away where he can't do any more harm. Well, that is all that I have for this case, but I do just want to say thank you so much for sticking with me through this crazy weather ordeal. I was working really hard to get you guys a good episode, and nature just had other plans. So, I hope that this serves as a reminder that we can all take extra steps to protect ourselves in the forest, but nothing changes the fact that there will always be bad people who are willing to do bad things, and prepared as you may be, sometimes they still win. So, when you head out in the woods, just always be prepared. Be prepared for flash floods and forest fires. Be prepared for rabid animals or starving mountain lions with a 30-foot horizontal leap. Be prepared for random injuries and dehydration. And more importantly, be prepared for nature-loving serial killers, because they probably know the woods a lot better than you do. As always, if you want to learn more about true crime in the show, please feel free to connect with me on Instagram or Twitter using the tag at datpod. And don't worry, I've got more episodes coming this week for you so we can catch up on the time that was lost. Thanks, guys.